O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are in week number two of this message series called Be Happy, or subtitled Be Happy for the Rest of Your Life. And I want to remind you that when we talk about happiness, we're not referring to that kind of giddiness that comes with getting your way all the time. Rather, we're talking about happiness not based upon any circumstances we find ourselves in, but happiness in knowing who we are and whose we are in Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned last week some people prefer to use the word joy. After all, that's the word that Paul uses any number of times here in the book of Philippians. Now, hopefully, uh, many of you did what I asked you to do last week, would be to read the book of Philippians. Just read chapter 1, and maybe even read through it every day for a week, and you get a general feeling about how all of this works together. But now we're moving on into chapter 2, and we're going to see that joy or happiness, whichever one you want to call it, can be found in serving other people. And I'm going to be very honest with you up front today, serving other people is an acquired taste. Serving does not come naturally to any of us. I mean, there are times when that old man inside of us, or what we would call our sinful human nature, kind of resists the idea of serving other people, and we find ourselves saying, hey, forget about taking care of other people. How about somebody taking care of me? See, it's our natural tendency to think that the path of least resistance will make us happiest. And it's our natural tendency to think that whatever pleases us temporarily will actually make us happy for a long, long time. But we know this is not the case. This past week, Nancy and I were down in Austin. One thing we did one night was we visited a restaurant that we had seen reviewed on one of my favorite television shows. Diners, drive-ins, and dives. Anybody else watch that besides me? Okay. We went to Maria's Taco Express. Okay, I, I'm not even going to talk about that. But she'll, uh, my, my thinks it's really kind of interesting that I watch these cooking shows because I never cook. But do I not look like I eat? <laughs> well, there's another cooking show that I watched not long ago that really kind of struck me. It's about a man whose name is James Oliver. And he is a television chef also with a number of popular cooking shows on the, I guess it's the Food Channel, is that what that channel's called? And he's got some best-selling cookbooks. He's British. And, and a couple of years ago, uh, Jamie Oliver started a campaign in the United Kingdom uh, to ban unhealthy foods from public schools. Uh, he demonstrated to schools how they could serve foods that were both healthy and cheap that would benefit not only the school system, but would ultimately benefit the kids as well. A number of schools adopted his plan, but there was a huge, huge public backlash against what he was trying to do. The plan meant for every student in school to get two portions of fruit and three portions of vegetables every day, and that sounds like a pretty good, but many parents got really bent out of shape. In fact, one school in South Yorkshire, a group of parents would come to school every day, go by the back fence during recess, and would shove hamburgers and french fries through the fence. You know, french fries, which for some crazy reason the British people call chips. And by the way, they call chips crisps, but I think I've wandered away from the subject. What was I talking about? Uh, 
Now, here was a plan that was designed to help everyone. It was less expensive. It created healthier children. It reduced childhood obesity and the problems that come with it. And a lot of people, both parents and kids, fought that idea, kicking and screaming all the way. Now, why was that? Well, it's because fruits and vegetables do not give you the same immediate gratification that pizza and ice cream do. And take it from somebody who's done the research on that. It's a lot easier and more immediately satisfying to eat junk food. But the fact is that people who consistently eat well are healthier, and every last one of us in here knows that. The other thing that I've noticed, I'm not telling you that I follow this, but I'm telling you I noticed it. I noticed that a lot of people who consistently eat healthy food tend to prefer and enjoy healthy food. Now, maybe not at first, but it's something they develop over time. It's an acquired taste. That's because eating right is an acquired taste. It's a habit you develop. The same can be said, I'm going to go back to serving, the same can be said about serving other people. It's an acquired taste, like eating healthy food. It's a habit you, desire, you, you have to develop. Our natural tendency is, what's in it for me? Or what can other people do for me? Now, we think that we're going to be most happy when other people are looking after us and tending to our every whim or our every need. But you know something, friends? That's relationship junk food. That's all that is. The truth is that you and I are most happy, and that's if we're looking at the long term, when we learn to give ourselves to other people in Christian service. We sometimes call it ministry in the church, and my definition of ministry has always been the same. It's whatever you do for someone else in the name of Jesus. That's what you and I as Christ followers are called to do, to do something else for other people in his name. Why don't you go to the next screen, would you? Is it Matt upstairs? How many of you ever seen this show, Hoarders? Oh, a few of you. Oh, what a show. There's a television show called Hoarders. It's on A&E where they take cameras into the personal lives of some really troubled people. People who can't seem to throw anything away, not even trash. Let's go to the next slide. Yeah, that's from one of the shows. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Next picture. Same thing. These are people who cannot throw anything away. They live in absolute squalor with stuff piled everywhere. There's no place to sit, no place to eat, no path to even walk through their house. These people, you saw the previous picture, stockpile food, keep it long after it's expired, often leaving it to sit there to spoil, never changing the cat litter, all that kind of stuff. It is just absolutely horrendous, and I hope I'm not really insulting some of you who live this way. <laughs> I'm telling, when I first saw that show, it was like, holy moly. You know, then what they do is they bring counselors into this situation to try to help these subjects work through their, quote, attachment issues. Not quite the choice of words I to use, but, you know, attachment issues. And, and when they do this, you can just see the turmoil in these people's faces 
is they're going through their inability to let things go, their desire to grab onto stuff and, and never, ever let it go. Now, I've watched this show a couple of times, and I've got to tell you, you know, you know what I learned from this? And that's that some of us are happiness hoarders. Some of us are relationship hoarders. We selfishly and stubbornly cling to whatever we think is going to make us happy, and we refuse to let it go or to give it back or give it to anybody else. We take and take, we, we get and we get and we keep and we keep, always with the question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Well, Philippians 2, which is what we're going to look at today, shows us a completely different way to happiness. Paul uses the word joy three different times here in chapter 2, and each one of them offers us a clue about how we can experience the joy or the happiness in our life being ministers, doing for other people in the name of Jesus. Now, this is not an immediate gratification pizza and ice cream kind of a deal that kind of comes and makes us happy for the moment. It's the kind of happiness that's a healthy happiness that sticks with us for a long time and leads to a full and satisfying life. On your message outline, I don't know if I put it up on the screen, I guess I did, a poem by Robert Frost. Uh, some of you remember this. I remember having to memorize this, I think, in high school literature class. Two roads diverge in the woods, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. It's the road less traveled. And maybe that should have been the title of my message this morning, The Road Less Traveled. And I want to talk about three different roads today that you're not going to run into too many people on. You know, driving through Austin in traffic, there's a lot of people coming and going. Even in Texarkana, a lot of people coming and going. Hey, this is a place where very few people drive. These three paths I'm going to talk about this morning. Here's the first less traveled path to happiness, and that is to find happiness in building up other people. Paul puts it this way. He says, make my joy complete. And then he tells us how to do that. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit, in one purpose. Now, I want to ask you this question. Why did Paul use that phrase? Why did Paul say, make my joy complete? I'm going to translate this a little bit for you. What Paul was saying was, look, I've been your pastor. I've been your teacher. I have been your spiritual guide. I have poured my life into you, and nothing makes me happier than to know that you guys are doing well, that you're living the life God has called you to live. When you live together in what? With the same love and the same spirit and the same purpose, I'm filled with joy because it indicates to me that your life, your spiritual life, is on target. That's what Paul is saying. See, Paul's whole reason for his ministry, and I'm not talking about being a pastor. I'm just talking about Paul's reason for ministry that all of us are called to. His whole reason for living was to build other people up. His goal, his purpose in life was to see people come to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but then to live as fully devoted followers of Christ. And this is not an easy job. I mean, that's why, if you, if, I think it's on your outline, you can see Galatians 4.19. I might have put that on there. Paul's talking to people. He says, my dear children, for who I am again, 
in the pains of childbirth. He said, dealing with you folks is like giving birth. It's a nice, sorry about this, it's a nice thing to want to give birth, but it, it's going to hurt at some point. I just, I, did I, I didn't tell you something you didn't know, did I? Okay. Or the other, there's enough other ladies in our church who are pregnant too. Just the only one I can happen to see at the moment. You know, but he said, I, I'm in, in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you. See, Paul is saying, I struggled. I struggled to bring you into this relationship so that you could be saved. But now I'm struggling again, like in childbirth, to help you become all you can be in faith. See, that was the most important thing to Paul. So let me ask you this question. How would you finish this sentence? Make my joy complete by... How would you complete that? Make my joy complete by doing this for me. Make my joy complete by giving me more money. Make my joy complete by giving me recognition. Make my joy complete by making my life easier. And you know, that's the answer a lot of people would give, but that's... That's selfishness. That's not servanthood. I mean, what would make your joy complete? I don't remember the question Nancy asked me exactly that night. She was preparing for Bible class. But one of the questions was, uh, she said, you know, what do I do? She was asking on behalf of herself, what do I do that causes you pain? Is that pretty close to the question? And I couldn't think of an answer. You know, but I, I suppose if there was something that she did that caused me pain, I would say, you know, make my joy complete by cutting that out. <laughs> Don't do that anymore. <laughs> but fortunately, I couldn't think of anything. So she's made my joy complete. There's the answer right there. Now, how do you make your joy complete? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest an answer. I think it could be this, seeing other people around you doing well. Make my joy complete by seeing other people around you living well and seeing them get along and growing in Christ and experiencing the fullness of life. I mean, I can tell you that as a pastor, if you want to make my joy complete, that's what I would hope and pray that you guys would do. It, it makes my joy complete when, when I see or sense that you guys are doing well, that you're living well, that you're, you're getting along with each other, that you're growing in Christ, and that you're experiencing the joy of Jesus to its fullest. That, that, that would make my joy complete. And the reason that makes my joy complete is because, well, I, I would say that I know that I'd played a part in that a little bit. And see, when you see that in other people, in your children or your parents or whatever, you, you have a little joy because you played a part and helped make that possible. See, Paul's attitude here which is an attitude that Jesus had, an attitude that we ought to adopt, is that when I see you or when you see other people walking with the Lord, you're filled with joy because you knew that you had done what you were supposed to do. You ministered to them. You served them in some way and brought joy in Jesus. So if you want to be happy, start looking at your life in the terms of maybe what you could accomplish in the life of other people. Now understand, the Holy Spirit is what's going to cause them to ultimately come to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But we have a responsibility to serve people and love people and care for people and plant seeds in people and, and prune people and all that kind of stuff. I mean, ask yourself every once in a while, 
How can I have a positive influence on somebody else's life? How can I help somebody else experience a closer walk with Jesus? How can I possibly build somebody up and encourage them towards peace and love and unity, the things Paul said? Now, I've got to tell you, that's a road less traveled. But if you want to experience some long-term happiness, look at your life in terms of what you're able to do for others rather than what they can do for you. That's the way Jesus led. That's the way Paul teaches us. And if we're going to be Christ followers, we do the same. Let me tell you about a, another less traveled road, and that's to find happiness in sacrificial living. Paul says here in verse 17, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice in all of this. Now, if you remember, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's in Rome. He doesn't really know what the future is going to be. Probably he's going to die in prison on account of his faith. There's a chance that he is going to give up his life for the sake of the gospel. Now, Paul has two different options here if you think about it. Paul could think about what could have been. You know, he could have had that 9 to 5 tent-making job back in Damascus someplace. He could have had a wife and kids and a couple of pets. He could have had success. He could have thought about the money he was going to make or whatever he could have thought. Or he could have thought about his life in terms of eternity. And see, Paul chose this path towards eternity this joy in sacrificial living. That's why he said, if I have to suffer a little bit on your account, I'll do it. Now, friends, I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't know, but if, if you've been called as a Christ follower, if you're interested in serving other people, you will end up making sacrifices too somewhere along the line. You'll make sacrifices at work. You'll make sacrifices in your relationships. You'll, you'll make some sacrifices in a, in a variety of ways. There are going to be times when you give so much, but you do it so that other people will reap the benefit. You might find bitterness in that truth, or you can find happiness in it. You can say, man, I just gave and gave and gave, and everybody else got something, and I didn't get anything. You know, do you want cheese with that wine? Or you can say, hey, I was happy to do it. I was happy to give this away because it impacted somebody else's life for Jesus. I'd encourage you again, just look at your life, your actions, and, and your work, and, and how it benefits other people, and take joy in the fact that maybe your sacrifices help them live a better life. Hopefully a life in Jesus. Now here's a third less traveled road to happiness, and that's to find happiness in showing appreciation. If you were here last week, I think I suggested that the very first thing you could do to be happier was to learn to say thank you. I want to ask you to raise your hand, but did any of you think about doing that this week and actually say thank you to somebody? I, there's one member here in church, I'm not going to point him out or anything, but every week I can count on him coming up to me after church and saying, Pastor, thank you. You, know, you have no idea how that makes me feel. And somebody says, thank you. You know, Derek, I know that you know, part of your job is helping people carry their, their groceries out to your car, and I know that there are probably a fair number of people who just grunt at you when you're done, but there are people who say 
thank you. And that probably makes you feel pretty good. You know, I can see Gwen upstairs. I can see her hair up there. Kind of, I see just a shadow of her up there. But you know, you know, Gwen, I know that when you come down after service and people come up and they just say, hey, thank you, that was really good. You know, you can coast on that for a long, long time just to say thanks. See, Paul continues this idea here in chapter 2 when he talks about one of his co-workers, a guy by the name of Epaphroditus. Now, Nancy didn't read that to you. That's why you're going to read all of chapter 2 this week, but Epaphroditus. And uh, Epaphroditus was probably an elder in the Philippian church, and he had been sent to Paul to bring Paul a little bit of financial help. But while he was there, he got sick. He almost died. And so his return back to his home church in Philippi was delayed, but now he's healed. Paul sends him back, and that's why he writes here at verse 28, Welcome him, that's Epaphroditus, in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give yourselves. See, Paul was saying, you got this great, wonderful guy in your church. He helped me a lot, and he actually suffered in the process. The guy almost died, but now he's coming back to you. You ought to have a hero's parade when this guy comes back into town. In other words, take joy in the fact that you've got other people that are out there doing the work, too. That's why I always love having missionaries come back. And, you know, missionaries ought to be honored because they're out there doing the work that we're unable to do. That's why we support them as well. See, the less traveled path to long-term happiness is to seize every opportunity to show appreciation to people who serve us, who work with us, who befriend us, welcome them in the Lord with great joy. See, Philippians 2 also, this is part of what Nancy read to you before, contains a, a section of verses that were probably a hymn that was sung in the early Christian church. That's what most people believe that if they got together to sing a song or a spiritual tune on a Sunday morning, they would have sung these verses. It's about how we should adopt the attitude of Christ. Let me read this again. It's in verses 5 to 11. I'm not going to sing it for you, and I don't even have any idea what it sounded like, but it was probably a hymn of the church. But these were the words. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some of you heard me say this before. Every time I hear those words, I'm taken back to one of the first times I ever did a mission trip, and I was in the former Soviet Union. And I remember when somebody got up and read these words, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. The people in that congregation, some thousand Russian pastors stood up and began to clap and applaud and cheer that. And I, I thought that was really, really strange. And, and later <clears throat> that day, somebody else got up and made reference to this. And when he said, let me share with you again these words from Paul about how at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow to earth, everybody stood up again. 
It, I, I remember even later at lunch, I was telling some of my friends, I said, I don't understand this. I said, but I think I'm going to use that passage later today. And I used it when I came to conference, and people did it again. And then we sat down with some Russian pastors and, and said, you know, you don't stand up when we read other scriptures. You don't applaud. But what is it about this? And they said, well, just imagine living in a country where you have no religious freedom, that it had been legislated out of, out of your life, where no one knew Jesus unless you hid underground. And now suddenly the Iron Curtain has fallen. You guys have come. We did the very first pastor's conference for people after the Iron Curtain fell in the Soviet Union. And he said, can you imagine how free we feel? And how we feel knowing that there is no name, that Jesus is the name above every name, above all of our czars, above all of our premiers, our prime ministers, the people in the Kremlin, all of those people. And that at the name of Jesus, guess what? Someday all of those people are going to bow at the name of Jesus and we're going to be right there with them. And I'll tell you, we just get them so excited to hear that. And they just said, we just can't wait to serve other people now by telling them the same thing. Well, you know, Jesus said much the same thing as these last verses when he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Now, I don't know what you would consider the best of your life. You know, there's, there's another cooking show I watch from time to time. It's called The Best Thing I Ever Ate. Anybody else watch that one? I, I just want to see what they like. And I hunted down someday. But, you know... I'm not going to talk to you about the best thing I ever ate, other than tell you we're going to have an opportunity to do that after a bit in communion. But I'm going to tell you the best life, the best life that you can ever experience is the life that, that will bring you joy and happiness and contentment. It's a life of service to other people in his name. I don't think there's anything any better in this entire world than to serve other people in the name of Jesus some way. It is the road less traveled to happiness, which means you won't encounter much competition along the way, but you'll encounter that peace that the Bible says passes all understanding. It brings about a joy unspeakable. So the question is, friends, do you want to be happy for the rest of your life? Then measure your life by what you are able to do for others. Follow the example set by Jesus who, as the scriptures say, humbled himself and took on the form of a man and went to the cross on our behalf, serving us all of the way. I pray that we all improve our serve in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and join together in our affirmation of faith today. Today we use the words of...